0: And our children can be dismissed, our preschoolers can be dismissed to their class now, so y'all can line up there. If you are not in preschool, I want to invite you to take out a copy of God's Word if you haven't done that already and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 64, Isaiah 64. we focus a lot of attention on already the advent season is a season of waiting it is a season of longing it is a season of great anticipation and uh, the advent season um, lasts for the four sundays leading up to christmas it culminates on christmas eve which we will have a christmas eve service here as we do every year the goal of advent as we have said is to help us anticipate the coming of jesus we anticipate the celebration of his first coming and we anticipate with eager longing his second coming. Now, we're actually benefited uh, where we live. So, so in America, the Christmas season is, is already ripe with waiting and anticipation. Okay, so we, we wait, uh, we, we count down the days until Christmas comes. Secular people do this just as much as Christians. We look forward to presents around the tree. We look forward to family, some of us look forward to family dinners. Um, we look forward to family dinners. We look forward to those special traditions that we share. I remember growing up, um, my, my family on my dad's side Uh, they would always, the way that they would give us our presents, so there was a whole bunch of cousins like a whole bunch of us we would gather out at my aunt's house and uh, the way that, that there were no gifts anywhere and the way that they would actually uh, give the gifts to us is they would send all the kids on a scavenger hunt and, you know, as a kid, I thought it was the funnest thing in the world. As an adult, I now know why they did that. They, they wanted some time to have some peace and quiet to have some the conversations. They just sent us out to go get the presents. Um, but I, we, we loved that. Every single year, they would just give us a clue after clue after clue. And then finally, we would find all the presents, and we would open them together. It was, it was waiting. It was anticipation. As Christians, we are greatly served by intentionally focusing on the spiritual discipline of waiting during the weeks that lead up to Christmas Now as Philip has shared You already know this to be true If you have ever been in a season Of suffering Or if holidays like Christmas Are hard for you If they're hard for you You know already Even if you don't consciously think about it The importance of waiting You know maybe Christmas Is just another fresh reminder Of, of an estranged Family member Someone that you so desperately want to be close to again, but you can't because of a conflict that continues to exist. Maybe you've lost family members, and you don't think about it very much, but every time your family gets together for Christmas, you're reminded of who's not there, who's not at the table. And, and that's a hard thing. Uh, you know, my family, we, we just visited Kentucky. We were there for Thanksgiving, and it's the first time we had we had been at a Thanksgiving dinner with my family in six years we, we've just usually stayed here for Thanksgiving and gone home for Christmas but this year we went back for Thanksgiving and it I, I have to be honest with you it was it was odd it was strange it was a little sad to be gathered around the table and and my grandparents on my dad's side were not there you know they had passed away and you know I hadn't the last time I'd had Thanksgiving dinner with my family they were there and so it, it was an odd thing for them not to be there um So our big gatherings now, they're reminders of the power and the sting of of death. Christmas can be a reminder that the world is not as it should be. And, And really, when you think about it, the birth of Jesus itself is an event that proves that the world is not as it should be. Christ has come to set right a world that has gone Wrong. Christ has come to redeem a people who have strayed very far from God. the question is, and this is one reason why we're, we're, we're sharing testimonies—we don't just want this to come from sermons. The question is, what do we do in the meantime? If if we if we are a people who recognize Christ has come, He has set all things right. We have access to God. We are forgiven, and we have a glorious future awaiting us. But in the meantime. We still suffer. There's still pain. There's still anguish. What what do we do? Well, all over the scriptures, the counsel is something we don't like to hear. The counsel is wait. Wait. Wait on the Lord. We wait with patience and faithfulness. We put our trust and hope in the Lord to come down from heaven once again and set things right. That's what we're focusing on this Advent season is waiting and longing. Um, our Advent series this year is going to be uh, situated in a very important context. We're going to be focusing entirely on the book of Isaiah which is situated in the context of exile. We, we have the people of Israel who are in a season of suffering and confusion and frustration and anger at the Lord um, for the situation that they are in the, the people of Israel are in a season of waiting and longing it's in the book of Isaiah more so than any other book in the Old Testament that we have allusions and prophecies of the coming Messiah who is going to come and set all things right it is no mistake that it was during this context of suffering and anguish and pain and lostness and sin that a prophet like Isaiah says but there is one who is coming he is coming, and he's going to set all this right. There is hope, and he is coming. We're going to be focusing on all these different passages, and, and every, every time we do that, we're going to pair it with a deep longing of our hearts. See, we're, we're going to look and see that in a world of lostness, we, deep down in our hearts, long to be home. In a world where we feel like we don't belong, we, we long to be home. We're going to look at a passage in Isaiah. In a world of conflict, sometimes seemingly unceasing conflict, you get through one, you're met with another. We long for peace. We long for peace that doesn't just come and go. We long for peace that comes and stays. And last, we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah to to unpack that. In a world of suffering, we long for comfort In a world of darkness, we long for light. And finally, in a world of sin, we long for salvation. And that's what we're going to focus on actually pretty quickly this morning. We're going to be focusing on this deep longing within our hearts for salvation. And when I speak about salvation this morning, I want you to, to be careful in how you think about it. Most of the time when we think about salvation, we get really technical, we start thinking in legal terms, and we start thinking in theological terms, and we're like, okay, salvation, we've got regeneration, you go through the order of salvation, you know, we, you know God predestines, and we've got regeneration, and we've got justification, sanctification, glorification, and you, it becomes something that's just kind of listed out on paper. But think about the word itself, salvation. You know, another valid way to translate that word throughout the scriptures is rescue. Rescue, let's not complicate this Let's not get get trapped up in our heads Salvation, God has come to save us We're longing, we're needing him to save us From our sin, from death, from our enemies From suffering, from all of these things What does that mean? If you're in trouble, if you're in danger And you need to be saved It means at at least you can't do anything to help yourself If you need to be saved Think, think about falling in a in a pool of water, a deep pool of water, and you can't swim. You can't swim like you're going to die unless someone rescues you, saves you. Well, the person who rescues you and saves you, whenever they get under the water, do they have like theological conversations with you or, or like conversations about swimming and you know all all this stuff? No. What do they do? They dive in the water. They grab you. They pull you up. They rescue you. They save you. They take you from a place of death to life. When you think about salvation, I want you to think of it in, uh, in more of a realistic way, a real, tangible way. You live in a world of darkness, and you need to be rescued from it. You have sin that exists in your heart, and you need to be rescued from it. You need to be taken away and placed in something new and better. The, the people of Israel, they, they give us this, this wonderful illustration that we find, and it's through their experience. They are in exile. What does salvation look like for the Israelites? It doesn't just look like, you know, renewing their faith in God. That's definitely, absolutely crucial to it. But what salvation actually looks like in real time is they return from exile. Something happens in real time. That's what we're longing for, are we not? in a world of decay in a world of death in a world of disease do we not long and hope for rescue from this place to live in a world where there is no such thing as disease where i'm sorry all my doctor friends in the room where your jobs are unnecessary we don't we don't have to talk about healing because there's no sickness we don't have to talk about conflict resolution because there's no conflict salvation is at the heart of it And we need to be in the book of Isaiah Because it's set in this exile God's people had lost their homeland They had lost their place of worship They had lost their significance as a people They had lost their national identity And they were living in a foreign land Under God's judgment Because of their sin And the prophet Isaiah He's coming and he's, he's declaring The word of, of the Lord To them, for them To show them that their problem is so much deeper than just exile they had a problem that was at the heart of all of their other problems they had rebelled against the lord and they were now living under his judgment so throughout this book isaiah is is helping the people of israel long for salvation from their desperate situation now specific to our passage here Stretching back into Isaiah 63, actually, you start in Isaiah 63, 15, all the way to uh, the end of Isaiah 64, Isaiah gives us this prayer of lament. It's, It's a cry for mercy. And it shows that Isaiah, in representing the people of Israel, that they finally understood their deepest problem, that they were in desperate need of rescue, that they didn't need to be improved. They didn't need to just make some changes here and there. They were in utter desperate need of salvation. And this prayer expresses a waiting and longing heart for God to intervene, to step in, and to save. So as we anticipate the celebration of Jesus' birth, let's focus this morning on why we need Christmas to be true in the first place. Why we desperately need Christmas to be true. Why we need Christmas. God to come down and save us. We're going to do it by looking at the three movements in this prayer. So there are three movements. First, we see a cry from darkness. Second, we see a dark epiphany. And third, and finally, we see surprising good news. So a cry from darkness, a dark epiphany, and surprising good news. All right, first, we see a cry from darkness. I want you to go back with me to Isaiah 63 and start in verse 15. I'm going to read this for us. Starting in verse 15, this is how, how the, the prayer begins. Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. Do you already hear it? Do you hear the pain and the anguish and the confusion and the frustration? This is a lament to God. Look look at verse 17. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways? And harden our heart so that we fear you not. Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. This is a very poetic way. Scholars uh, differ on whether they believe that Isaiah is actually saying that he believes, the people of Israel believe that God has caused them to sin, or if this is just a very poetic way of saying, look how far we have gone. Says in verse 18 your holy people held possession for a little while our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary we have become like those over whom you have never ruled like those who are not called by your name oh starting in verse 1 of 64 oh that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. Here's what he's getting at here. He's saying, Lord, where are you? Why have you removed your presence from us? Why have you turned your face away from us? Honestly, the, the way that uh, this could be translated in Isaiah 64, 1, where it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens. Another valid way to interpret the, or uh, translate this is, If only you had rendered the heavens. It's a cry of lament. If you had come down, Lord, the way that you did for Moses... If you had come down in power the way that you did for your people in the years gone by, we would not be where we are. It's a cry of desperation. And really what it is, it's honesty about how dark the world is. The Israelites understood the darkness of the world. They were stumbling in the dark as they lived in exile. Their enemies Had prospered. Idolaters had invaded their land and removed them from it. Their laughter has turned to tears, their joy has turned to mourning, and it seemed like the sun had set and it was never going to rise again. The Israelites, they, they felt the depths of life in a fallen world. Those who did not know God Prospering over and profiting from their abuses of his people. That was not the plan. The plan was for God's people to live in God's land, under God's rule, just as they had in the Garden of Eden. The plan was for the Israelites to live as a light to the nations. And the plan was for the nations to come to Jerusalem, but not to ransack it. To come to Jerusalem to worship the one true God god well things were not going as planned instead evil seemed to win the day the israelites were helpless and they were hopeless there was nothing they could do to change their circumstances or climb up out of this pit of darkness we understand this darkness too we don't even have to mention the overwhelming amount of darkness that we most likely see every single day on the news or on social media in fact, it's so much, it would probably do you well to, to take a break from watching the news or from from being on, on social media. I mean, the amount of abuse, hatred, injustice, and evil that we see out there in the world is too much for any of us to bear. I, mean, I was reading just, just a few weeks ago in the Daily Journal, you know, about, they, they did profiles of all the people who were on death row, you know, and it just, their names, the crimes that they were convicted of, and heinous, heinous crimes that were committed, just lives that had been just completely snuffed out. Just innocent people, just slain. It's, it's horrible. I think about my own family. Um, being back with them just reminded me of this uh, that I've actually lost three cousins in the past 15 years. And it just, it just kind of hit me, you know, being out there. I lost, I lost one cousin in a tragic plane crash. I mean you know just got married the night before he leaves for his honeymoon the plane goes off the wrong runway clips some trees hits the ground everybody except one person died just like that i had another cousin that that died in a tragic hunting accident i mean just 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 an accident and then he was he was in his late 20s and then i had another cousin that that overdosed what a terrible world what a painful, dark world. And you you know it too. I mean, have you ever just sat in this darkness and just ever, ever once said to the Lord, this is not fair. This is not right. Some of you are walking in the midst of a very dark season right now, and none of us can avoid the darkness. Now, now what do we do with this bad news? Well, you know... I, you probably want to do what I want to do. You probably feel really uncomfortable right now um, even talking about how bad the world can be. Uh, we don't like to talk about that. We, we, we don't talk about that. I was watch, uh, watching a movie, and the narrator was like, uh, you know, this horrible thing happened to him, and, you know, he really doesn't like to talk about it, and then the character, like, looks over at the camera. I don't talk about that, you know. Um, that, that's us. We, we, don't, we don't talk about how, how bad the world can be. We don't like to think about it. We, we want to ignore it. We want to pretend that... Um, Everything is okay and will always be okay. But the best thing for us to do in a dark and evil world is to acknowledge it and turn our eyes toward God and cry out to Him the way that Isaiah is doing here. Crying out to the Lord. If only you had come down in this situation. If only you had been here. Crying out to Him in your pain. The birth of Jesus Um, when you look at Isaiah 64 and this cry for the Lord to come down I want you to notice the language that Isaiah uses he says oh that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil To make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. What's he asking for? He's saying, God, our enemies have won. And it's not fair and it's not right. Come down from heaven and deal with them. Cut them off. Judge them. Come down with fury and anger and wrath and fire and judgment. And You know, when you think about Christmas and the coming of Christ, you don't typically think about Jesus coming down with wrath, right? Um, You know we don't have a wrath candle up here you know if you if you grew up in baptist church it's usually the candles that's like the candle of peace and love and what are the i forget what the other ones are um but you know they they represent things there's not usually a wrath candle you know like oh yes this week we're gonna remember that you know when jesus came down it's the wrath of god you know that is in full view here but when you think about it that's what isaiah is calling for he's saying god come down with your justice Set this world right, take care of evildoers Do away with them And in part, the coming of Christ is a promise That God will not be mocked That he will deal with evildoers That he will deal with injustice His justice in the end will win the day In the presence of Jesus through his birth is evidence of that the cry of Advent is not just for God to bring goodness and love and peace into the world. The cry of Advent is for God himself to come down to eliminate all that causes pain and suffering in this world. It's a cry for salvation. So in part, it is a cry for judgment. It is a cry for justice. We cry in the dark to God for him to come down with power and might to set all things right. And this cry from Isaiah Was answered by the Lord with the coming of Jesus. So the hope of Christmas is that everything that causes us pain will one day be undone. So so we have this cry from darkness. But then as as you keep reading through Isaiah 64, something changes. There's a shift. There's a dark epiphany that that this dark realization that Isaiah has. We wait and we long for salvation not just because of the darkness that's all around us, oh Lord save us from this place we long for salvation because of the darkness that's within us so if the only thing that we needed to be rescued from was the darkness that's out there in the world we would not need to worry at all about the idea of a holy and just God coming down from heaven in judgment we don't have to worry about it at all but that's not the problem we have the darkness out there the problem is deeper see we're a lot like the israelites you notice the first part of this prayer it's focused on their suffering they're, they're they're the victims you know look at what's happened to us look at where we are lord would you come down and deal with those guys over there they're the ba- they're the enemies they're the bad people come down in judgment and judge them so that we can be saved act on behalf of your people it's it's it almost feels sarcastic at times do you remember who you are you're our father would you come and defend us and go get the enemies go get the bad guys um we would love to say that the darkness is only outside of us that the bad guys are on one side and we are on the other that's how the israelites viewed themselves And like Isaiah, we cry for justice assuming that the sword won't fall on us. We think that we are always and only the innocent ones unjustly suffering the consequences of a fallen world. And so we pray, God, come down with fury and anger and justice and get rid of all the bad guys. But like Isaiah, if we keep looking, we will see that the darkness is not just out there. The darkness is right in here too. And it complicates our problem. Isaiah has this dark epiphany. Re- read it with me. He says in verse 4, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Just, just notice the downward progression here you meet him who joyfully works righteousness those who remember you in your ways so he's like Lord act on our behalf come down judge our enemies and we know that you will because it's within your character it's consistent with your character to act on behalf of those who wait for you to act on behalf of those who rejoice in godliness who want to be like you who want to be a light to the nations and reflect your glory and then look what happens has this realization. Behold, you were angry. And, and what does he say? And we sinned. It doesn't it doesn't land as well in English, but what what Isaiah is saying here is you have been consistent. You hate sin. You've shown us that you deal with sin and how you deal with sin. And it's one of the reasons we're calling on you to come down and deal with those who have sinned against us. And even though we knew that, we kept on sinning. Even though we knew about your justice and your wrath and your will for us. Even though you had given us your word, we sinned. In our sins, Isaiah says, we have been a long time. And then he says here, and shall we be saved? Other translations really make the point. They say, how then shall we be saved? How can can we be saved? As a people who has received your word and your promises and have continued to sin against you. We of all people, how can we be saved? He goes on, he says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. You have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Um, Isaiah has this dark... Realization in the middle of this prayer that if God did actually come down in fiery judgment, his wrath would fall on his people too. Do you see the problem we have? We want God to rescue us from all the badness, all the darkness that's out there, but if he actually did come down to judge all that was bad, if he actually did come down to set right all that was wrong, how, how can we be saved from his wrath? That's the question that's being posted. That's the question of Christmas. We can't ask God to save us from the darkness that's out there in the world without also needing Him to save us from the darkness that's in our own hearts. I, I love how this one author puts it. He says, If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts right through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart see before a holy and just God we are unclean our best righteous deeds are polluted with our sinful attitudes we are like a fading leaf we are disinterested in the Lord and we are alienated from him at the dead center of this prayer Isaiah asks a devastating question How can such people be saved? We want God to set things right. We want God to come down. That's not good news for sinners like us. It shows us that we need salvation. Isaiah communicates what we must communicate when we are confronted with our sin that we don't just need improvement, we need salvation. we need God to save the world this is key without judging us for us to have any hope at all We, we want the world to be saved but in order for him to restore and renew the world we need him to do that without judging us our problem in crying out to God in our darkness to save us and set things right is that we are all part of what's wrong with the world the darkness is in here which means We deserve God's wrath. The problem is deep. It isn't that God isn't able to set the world right. The problem is, how can he set the world right and spare us at the same time? You need to feel this, because there's some surprising good news here. It should surprise you that it's good news for a holy and just God to come down from heaven to meet you but it is. Let's look at one more thing here, the surprising good news. Look with me in verse 8. So after, after this sullen realization of the depths of their sin, Isaiah, on behalf of the people of Israel, he says very importantly, very beautifully, but now, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. We wait and we long for salvation because God has come down in mercy and grace and love. he essentially is saying three things here he's saying Lord we are in your hands what, what more can we do you are the potter we are the clay he's saying Lord forget our sins remember them not because he knows that's the only way that they have hope for eternal life with him and finally he says at the end Lord return to us You see we need a savior we need a savior not 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 moral improvement not not you know just the bible and we learn how to obey god no we need a savior to come down we need god to come down we need a savior who is untouched by the darkness of sin we need a savior who can do something that allows god to forget our iniquities without failing to be just and all of israel's longing and waiting for salvation was found in jesus and the same is true for us Jesus is the only Savior because he is not of this dark world. He is the creator, not the creature. He is untouched by the darkness of sin. In his life, although there was so much darkness around him, there was never any darkness in him. Jesus is the only Savior because only he met the standard that Israel and we failed to meet. He perfectly rejoiced in righteousness He waited on the Lord perfectly. He did what we in Israel have failed to do. And Jesus is the only Savior because his death was not due to his sin, unlike the rest of us. His death was due to our sin. So how is God able to remain a good and righteous judge who can come and deal with all the evil in the world without also putting us to death? How can he forget our iniquities and remain a good and faithful judge? Well, the only way for the sword of God's justice to not fall squarely on sinners like us is for someone to take our place. In his death, Jesus bore the wrath of God in our place. He took the curse of sin from us. And then his unpolluted, perfect righteousness was then credited to us by faith in him. So the people of Israel, they they longed and they waited for God to come down. A just and holy God coming down from heaven to visit his habitually sinful people is surprisingly good news. Because when God came down at Christmas, it was to save us, not only from the world around us, but from the sin within us by living the life that we should but can't live, dying the death that we deserve, and by rising from the dead to conquer every evil thing around and within us. There are two takeaways here. Um, this salvation has been fully accomplished through Jesus and what he has done. But if, in case you haven't noticed, we still live in a dark world. And in case you haven't noticed, although you have been redeemed and you have been forgiven, you still have darkness within you. You still have sin that that resides in your heart. And so our waiting is not over. We are waiting for Jesus to return in power and glory to eliminate forever all sin and all suffering, all death and all destruction will one day meet their end in the coming of Jesus. And so, as we wait for the completion, the final culmination of our salvation, do two things. One, groan and lament your present sinful condition. It is good to follow the pattern that Isaiah offers us here, to lament, to cry out to God in your pain about the darkness that is around you and the darkness that is within you groan and lament over your persistent sinful condition and over your persistent suffering environment and and finally as we wait for salvation rejoice in righteousness rejoice in righteousness He says here from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear no eye has seen a god besides you who acts for those who wait for him you meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. We close with a passage from 2 Peter. I invite you to turn there with me. It's a very important Advent passage. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. We'll close with this. Peter is, is writing about the second coming of Jesus, and he tells us what we should be doing as we wait for Jesus to return. Second Peter chapter three, starting in verse ten. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. So, so notice what Peter's doing here. He's saying one day Jesus is going to do exactly what Isaiah was crying out to God for him to do. He's going to come down with power and might and justice. And he's going to set all things right. And he's going to deal with all evil. It will all be out in the open. It will all be exposed. And he will deal with it. And while we wait for that to happen, Peter says, since all these things are going to happen In which righteousness dwells as we wait for that day as we wait for the new earth as we wait for the new heavens where righteousness will fill the earth will fill our hearts where it will be only light and no darkness as we wait let's bring light into every single place that we go by rejoicing in righteousness pursuing godliness and holiness let me pray for